Coming up next, the booking reads Charlotte's Web. Welcome to the Bookening. I'm Nathan Hours and your humble and obedient host agent provocateur. There's Brandon over there. He's got a shirt that looks like a popcorn box that looks like he's a... Uh, soda jerk. So Soda jerk, yeah. You're Heavy on the jerk. soda, light on the jerk. <laughs> Strike that, reverse it. Strike yeah. that, reverse it. <laughs> light on the soda, heavy on the jerk. Light on the soda, heavy on the jerk. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> everybody's heard my... Uh, that was, was more in Ready Player was, One that episode. That was meaner than I thought. <laughs> it's, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm getting that reputation, but hey, bring it. I can take it. No, he's over there. He's Brandon Chastine. He's 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 got the the coffee. He's wearing the shirt. He's got the roll. His sleeves are rolled up, folks, because he's about to dig in, do That's some right. work. I'm um, kind of purple. He's <laughs> a little bit today cold. He's purple. So. He wants to destroy half of all life in the known universe because he's into population control. It's a very relatable uh, um, problem that people have. Yeah. <laughs> That's a little criticism of the latest Avengers movie, which I just saw last night. I liked Thanos. All right, folks. But I think they wanted they wanted it to be more resonant than it was. Let's yeah. just say that. I saw Lord Huron live. Yeah, Brandon. How was Lord Huron? Fun. How was his lordship? Yeah, it was great. It was really fun. He sang. If you know Lord Huron, his, his music is great. I'm right yeah. in saying he's a guy. I always think yeah. that these guys are guys like Bonivar. I don't think Bonivar <laughs> is actually a guy, but I always no, think he's a guy. Bonivar is a guy. Oh, he is. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, he's a band now. Yeah. I mean, it's like Lord Huron. He was is, a band, it's a band. But then he was a guy and now he's a band. Yeah. Is there actually a gentleman that goes around in life that calls himself that you could be like, hey, Lord Huron, and he would turn his head? Yeah. Well, I'm sure the lead singer would, yes. Like Alice Cooper was actually the name of the band, but then people just assumed that the front man was Alice Cooper for so long. Eventually, he just changed his name and accepted the mantle of Alice Cooper. Is it one of those kinds of things? It's certainly the way that Bon Iver was for a while. Mm -hmm. But now... Well, is, is there the, a gentleman in the world where I can say, hey, hey, Bone, how you doing? And he'll turn his head. I mean, he might turn his head, but he's very much Justin Vernon, who does a thousand other projects and is in like five or six other bands. And Bon Iver is a, a particular band with a partic yeah. particular style of music that he happens to front and be the genius architect of everything they do. And speaking of genius architects of everything that we do, well, who's the genius architect of everything that Warhorn does? Why, it's Jacob Menzel, the pastor who's a master of... <laughs> reading false that's you <laughs> <laughs> well yeah we can we can share you share it like a hive mind we don't have to have a yeah. humble off right now we're both great and then i want to humble off <laughs> you want right now <laughs> uh charlotte's web fellas we'll, we'll do donor shout outs in a little bit not everybody likes donor shout outs to come at the beginning some people like it to come in the middle some people like it to come in the end so we, we like to switch things up so that's what we'll do we'll get to donor shouts out a little bit but right now what's that sound oh this is an airplane going over oh look at that airplane that's oh, nice look at that airplane brandon yep <laughs> wonder where it's headed <laughs> maybe up to maine maybe up to maine to visit eb white's homestead <laughs> home. that's probably it <laughs> this is quality stuff here <laughs> this is some quality material right here the airplane, of course, indicates baggage checked, part of the show where we talk about the baggage that we bring to the work in question. Jake, what baggage did you bring to Charlotte's Web? It was read to me in class by my beloved Mrs. Culliver. Libby Culliver, the Libby great Culliver, Libby Culliver. Yep. And I remember enjoying it and enjoying the movie as a kid. Have you seen the animated thing from the 70s? That's what I was talking about, yeah. 
Anything but yeah, else? I enjoyed it. And then uh, I guess the only other baggage I could bring is that took me a long time to realize that the white of Shrunken White was the same mm-hmm. E.B. White that wrote Charlotte's Web and to put those two very different personages, that the New Yorker essayist who was a master of style together with the children's author. But much like a delicious Nabasco Oreo cookie, you put that those two things together. Yeah, and it's extra delicious. It's extra delicious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when you put two Nabisco cookies together? No, I don't know. It wasn't a very good metaphor. <laughs> or when it's you put like, it with milk. It's like, like a Nabisco cookie with milk. Well, what I was thinking more of it was an Oreo. And, and in my mind, I'll just explain what went on in my head. In my head, the Charlotte's Web was the white creamy filling uh-huh. and the chocolate stuff. Cookie. S- cookie yeah. was strunk and white. And they're two different you things. You pull them together. But then you pull them together and you have one delicious cookie that makes complete sense. What cookie makes more sense in this universe than an Oreo? Yeah, well, it's just E.B. White's own. He's, he's, he's an Oreo cookie. Man. Yeah. 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 Your thoughts? I think he's an Oreo cookie too. Your baggage. Oh, my baggage. We actually have heard my baggage before. People can go back and listen to the five books that shaped us as a child. Yeah, everyone's we favorite had a, episode. Yeah. <laughs> We had Charlotte's Web on there. So my mom read this book to us multiple times growing up. It was one of her favorites that her parents had read to her. It was a long tradition in the Chastine Scarborough homes of reading Charlotte's Web. I credit this book with an early love of storytelling. Really? Yeah. So this is an important book. Yeah, this is really an important book in my life. A formative book. Thank you, Mom, for reading this to us. Thanks, Brandon. For reading to us in general. She was good about that. If it wasn't for uh, Brandon's mom and for... E.B. White, we probably wouldn't be doing this show right now. Yeah. So I'm a, with Jake. I had no clue that the white of Strunk and White was E.B. White until college, maybe until talking to people here. And somebody pointed out to me, you realize that's the same guy who wrote Charlotte's Web. It's eye-opening. It makes sense. Charlotte's Web is good because it was written by E.B. White, and only E.B. White can write like E.B. White. Yeah, so. that's, that's for sure. I just, I love the really dumb saying, those who can do and those who can't teach. Yeah. And White's just, uh, I, I'm sucking at words today. That's okay. <laughs> he's, he's I proof to of that? A, the worst Oreo metaphor of all time. <laughs> um, he, he, that's like a Brandon metaphor. <laughs> yeah, he, White explodes well, that saying. He teaches yeah, and he, does. You take Strunk and White. Behind that book, you have somebody who's not a hypothetical good writer who's laying down yeah. rules f- for something he can't pull off or something he can't model for you. It, he's a yep. genuinely yeah, lo- great writer and editor. Lo and behold, a lot of my best teachers... When I would actually go and read their stuff, we're mm-hmm. also really good writers and we're really good thinkers. So mm-hmm. it's kind of a, that's a junk phrase. Often people who can do something really well know how to do it really well. And so therefore they can teach it. how to do it really well. I, I, I know what people are getting at with that phrase. It's I think a, there's such a thing as a, I know this is not, this is off topic. I think there is such a thing as someone who's a, just a born communicator. Yes. And that's really their gift. And their gift is communicating love and passion. If I'm allowed to use that word and just yeah, general and I, understanding of any given topic. Sure. So it is it is possible that someone just loves Shakespeare it's, it's and they're yes, communicating to, what's great about something than actually doing it. There's yeah. also such a thing as a savant who happens to be really naturally good at something and not maybe not understand why. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's there's true. Certainly many an artist that that's one of the things I liked about Ishiguro was that he wasn't that. He's very art he's yeah. maybe the most articulate one of the most articulate writers I've ever 
heard go on record just talking yep. about his own craft that was it was just nice to see him, him in an interview be so articulate and eb white's very similar mm-hmm. he's yeah. he kind of is like ishiguro yeah there are a lot of similarities but although eb anyway. white said the most famous thing that stops people from ever analyzing comedy which is he said the famous frog metaphor analyzing comedy is like dissecting a frog you you can do it but the thing dies in the process yeah just stopped generations of people from trying to figure out what makes well Certain things work about jokes and stuff like that. And there is a certain truth to that. I don't know if we talked about it in our style episode, but there is just a certain, uh, like an instinct to it. Yeah, there's a, just a, a genesis. You can't quoi. teach, but that's why we encourage people to go and read really good writers because you can pick up on it, mm-hmm. even though they may not be able to pinpoint exactly what's going on. Like I, I've been listening to a lot of John Donne's sonnet, sonnets. Mm-hmm. If you actually try to stop and figure out, okay, why does the death be not proud right. sonnet work? It starts to fall apart, but then when you listen to it, it's really powerful. It works, yeah. yeah. Well, the best essay on this is written by Mr. White. It appears at the end of Elements of Style. He tries to put pinpoint what makes great style, and he ends up saying, I think he calls it a mystery story, thinly disguised or something like yeah. that. He just says, who knows why certain combinations of words just explode but in your it's mind true. and others don't. And then he does the famous thing where he takes, these are the times that try men's souls, and he rearranges it and says, these are trying times, soul-wise. He says, okay, that's silly, but why? Like, what? That's you know, why is the one better and the one worse? And it and just is. It just is. Yeah, it's the music to it. Iambic pentameter. Iambic mm. pentameter. Yeah. Yeah, Pantam- you can throw all kinds of theories <laughs> at it. You can throw those theories and see what sticks, but, but in the end, it, it works. Yeah. There's just there's just magic. It's just magic. Like C.S. Lewis says in Shadowlands. Mm-hmm. Magic. <laughs> it's magic. But uh, it's, it's yeah, got a lot so of traction out of that one, yeah. <laughs> one word quote. Do it. I, I guess the rest of my baggage is I've read this now twice to my kids. Mm. They love it every time I read it. They eat it up. So it's just carrying on the tradition. Hopefully, it'll inspire them to. I guess we better ask. Did you read it to your children? I did read it to my kids, and they loved, loved, loved it. They never wanted me to stop, and they kept asking for it till we blazed through it, and they all cried. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there was a lot of crying. Mm. Actually, the first night. I was gone, and so Anna read, but they read like 60 pages. Wow. That's like half and the just, book, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. that they Then the kids, what, they rarely love a story that I was much. gone, Amanda had to fight hard. To, she wanted to read it. Yeah. She wanted to read it to the kids. The kids really wanted her to read it, and she saved it for me, which I'm, I was yeah. really grateful for. But I definitely understand the struggle. And because we like beating dead horses here, mm-hmm. I will say that my kids did not feel that way towards A.A. Milne. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's, let's uh, talk a little booketing bag. We'll get to Nathan's baggage in a second. But, let's talk booketing baggage. Uh, we've done yeah. so. Year one, we did Jungle Book. How'd your kids feel about Jungle Book? If my if memory serves, they didn't really seem to care too much about mm-hmm. Jungle Book, but they were excited for me to be reading a book to them, and so they wanted me to. So read. starved for affection. They, and yeah. Yes, exactly. Desperate for any. Yeah, we had already read Daddy's Justice paying stories, attention to us. And it was a nice contrast to see. I mean, so it was Kipling, but to see the difference in their enthusiasm for the Justice stories and the and the Jungle Book was pretty stark. If I may, the way I remember it is that Ricky Ticky Tabby was yes, in fact. That's a what hit. I was going to say. Oh yeah, they I mean, yeah they loved Ricky Ticky. They ate up Ricky Ticky Tabby. It has some similarities to this but my kids were the same they were indifferent towards the rest and then Except maybe we, the story about the elephants and going to the mysterious elephant yeah i think that one i was they kind of liked that I one was oh, the same thing but then there's that super that. boring one about the mating habits of seals and yes and the mogli stories just aren't as good as you want them to be sorry no 
They're not as they're I mean, not they're as crisp and clean as E.B. White. No, there's the way that the style actually gets in the way with Kipling that the style doesn't get in the way with E.B. White, and that's one thing that I've noticed. I mean, I actually I like Charlotte's Web so much that on Elliot's recommendation, my son, I went and I read Stuart Little, mm-hmm. and it was great. And so then I read The Trumpet of the Swan too, and it was great. Okay, so I've not yeah, read Peter's either read one. Those and loves them. Yeah, so I, now I've read. I guess this is becoming a habit for me. You just read the author's just, entire oeuvre. I read their entire oeuvre. Oh boy, it's gonna be <laughs> well, fun I mean, when we get to Shakespeare month. I know. Right? Well, I'm, He's already done that. I'm going to bring the context, baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, and then year two came uh, the famous... Contra- controversy. Contra- controversy of old uh, Winnie the Pooh, a very famous booking episode, or infamous, perhaps, depending mm-hmm. on your point of view. Your kids felt, how about Winnie the Pooh, gentlemen? They were just really indifferent to... If I was going to pick it up and read it, they were going to be interested and they would laugh, whether they understood what they were laughing at or not. But they were never excited about it. They were never asking for it. There were other books that we had been reading they would have rather me go back to, including like Howard Pyle's King Arthur. And this was because you did a terrible job reading and didn't bring it to life? Yeah, I really just don't know how to read. You don't know how to read. Yeah, I don't know how to read to children. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to read in a way that engages my own children. That's probably a fair judgment to make. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, certainly a judgment that one can make. One could. That was that's what I was going to say, but then I decided not to. But you got there first, so <laughs> I think I read it with vitality, and mm-hmm. the kids were still they were okay with it. They thought it was funny, but they weren't anxious for it like they were with Charlotte's Web. So Charlotte's yeah. Web was markedly different than either one of those two other examples yeah. that have come up in booking history. It sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. You guys as kids were like, read us more Charlotte's Web. Yeah, they didn't. They just did not want me to put it down we normally read before bedtime but it got to the point where they're asking at dinner like hey dad would you hurry up and finish so and go grab charlotte's web while we wow yeah finish dinner your kids are goody two-shoes kind of <laughs> i never would have done that i don't think but well, that's not they, they don't they normally, don't do that that's the point that's, do that. that's, that's the, the point, point is they're not goody two-shoes charlotte's web is just that awesome I think yeah. so. Yeah. yeah. I've, they've never really been that enthusiastic about anything mm-hmm. before. Yeah. Well, I think basically this episode, we just, we just have to answer one question, which is why is that? But let me give my baggage first before we do that. My baggage is, I don't really remember. I know I read this book as a kid and it, it all came back to me when I was reading it, but I had not thought of it for years. I don't think until Brand, we did our children's episode a couple of years ago where Brandon mentioned it. I don't think I thought of it. I don't think it had crossed my mind. That was actually a really fun episode to do because there's a number of things you guys brought up that just brought back a lot of memories, you know, kind of like... The La Madeline cookie. Yeah, I mean, Proust eating his, uh, his cookie. Yeah, it's like, oh yeah, Charlotte's Web was a thing. It was a thing I really liked, I think. I remembered it fondly, but I hadn't sort of kept it alive with me. Number one place that's actually happened in was Ricky Ticky Tabby, which I completely didn't even remember was a word until we read it again. And I was just like, oh yeah, I loved this. I loved this. But Charlotte's Web, I remembered it as I read it and it was really moving and good and I liked it. I have principally loved E.B. White as an adult through Elements of Style, which we've talked about a little bit and I think it's a magnificent book. I mean, it's just, I don't know. I, I feel very weak and inarticulate when I try and talk about Elements of Style because I cannot having the three of us taught a class one time and it's really hard to make a young person see how important these principles are but man it's like every young guitar player thinking that they're just going to ape Jimi hendrix without learning the blues right the fact is Jimi hendrix was maybe one of the greatest most disciplined blues players of all time who actually knew how to break every rule and when to break every rule but any young idiot doesn't see that. Yeah, the other famous example is Picasso. Mm-hmm. Apparently, if you look at his early drawings, they're 
like immaculate, perfect. Mm-hmm. And so he really learned the craft so that he could break it. When, when you try and explain that to someone, it's just like, I want you to do wax on, wax off, wax on, wax off. And they're like, this is dumb. I want to do backflips and learn to do kicks and triple punches and stuff. And it's like, no, just take my word for it. Fundamentals, you, kid. You wax this and car, you'll learn better. You'll be a better karate kid. Well, the reason is, is a lot of what looks like avant-garde stuff mm-hmm is actually just a vehicle to hide the fact that the artist has no talent. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've probably brought this example up multiple times, but I see it in basketball. I've grown up in Indiana, which is a top producer of basketball talent Mm -hmm. in the country, despite being a small state. And the reason is because Indiana just has a rich tradition of basketball and teaching basketball and teaching basketball fundamentals. There are lots of people who grow up watching NBA players do really fancy things. They learn the fancy things, but they don't learn the fundamentals. And so I can still go on a basketball court and having not played basketball for a couple years, my shot's out of whack. My my uh, ball handling skills are out of whack. And I can still hold my own with a whole lot of people simply because one thing I have mastered is the fundamentals mm-hmm, of the game. Mm-hmm. I, I can't do between my legs, spin moves up and under and around whatever, but I can't control the game mm-hmm. and I can hold my own against a, an opponent. There's nothing flashy about it. Yeah. yeah. But, but that's what real basketball ability is built on is that foundation. Uh, and that's what the glory and the romance of basketball is built on. And that's what I think young people don't understand is if you actually do the fundamentals, it will eventually with hard work be glorious. I mean, the way that Shakespeare got to be Shakespeare was by omitting needless words and only keeping to be or not to be. (laughs) If you actually do... To perhaps, possibly, yeah, maybe to be. be. Cross all that out, Bill. If you were to go and watch LeBron James practice by himself, or if you would have gone to watch Michael Jordan practice by himself, or if you go to watch any Major League Baseball practice, you'd be amazed at the fact that 98% of everything they do are the mundane drills and things that you learn as a five, six, seven, eight, ten 10-year-old kid. Mm-hmm. Yep. And this is what I tell my kids and what I tell uh, the kids that I coach is we practice these fundamental drills. We've practiced them all so that when it comes game time, you don't have to think about them and you can think about other things. Mm-hmm. You don't have to think about your form or your mechanics when you're pitching. You, have, you get to think about location because your mechanics are sound. And that's the kind of thing that young writers just simply won't give themselves to mm-hmm. is the discipline of just really nailing those fundamentals down. Right. But I just, I submit to any young writer who's listening, if you did it, you would actually, it would take hard work and it would be boring and it would take time. But eventually you would, I think, see as you omitted needless words, as you used strong, concise language, as you did all the things that Strunk and White tell you to do, you would actually begin to see something more beautiful emerge. You'd see the Vetus de Milo coming out of your punk of rock that you're chipping away at. I mean, it's just, there's romance and there's beauty to the fundamentals. And I despair of getting anyone who's too proud to see it to see it. And I think it's sad. It is sad. Probably the most talented artist I've ever known in my life was this guy named Adam Golka. He was a pianist at TCU mm-hmm. and he was brilliant. And one of those guys who's like intimidating, his talent is so huge. And one morning I was at the university early. There was somebody just playing scales over and over again. Yep. And I went in there and it was him. Mm-hmm. Of course I'm like, wow. Was. Yeah. Of course it was. He was there earlier than everybody else. He was in the practice room and he was just doing his scales. 
the reason is because he didn't want to lose those fundamentals. So, yeah, you practice the fundamentals so you don't have to yeah. think about them. You practice your scales yeah. as a musician. and Internalize talk, those scales. Yeah, talk about a guy whose life was full of romance and poetry. I mean, mm-hmm. he blew everybody away. And everybody wants to just practice the flashy flourishes. Yeah, everybody wants to just be him without the work that goes into mm-hmm. it. That's right. But so. you, there's no being Michael Jordan. There's no being LeBron James. There's no being your, your pianist. There's no yeah. being E.B. White yeah. without just hammering home the fundamentals and getting them so steeped into the core of your being that they just are your default. You've mastered the craft in such a way that the craft has mastered you. You get to think about next level stuff. Yeah, you get to write Charlotte's Web. <laughs> right. And Stuart Little, and which, by the way, I because of that movie that came out, mm, Stuart like Little Fox movie. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was gonna be awful. Mm-hmm. Stuart Little is completely different. They ruined that movie. Ruined it. Mm. So that's huh. good. Stuart Little's worth reading. Cool. And from of the Swan too, you say? Yeah, they're both really good. Hmm. And I think it's really charming that, that the greatest stylist in American letters wrote three children's books, and that they're very humble books. Yeah, so. he wasn't lowering himself to do it. He was just using his awesomeness to write some books that happen to be yeah. about topics that children like yeah so let's see did i say my baggage yes i said my baggage we talked about the bookings baggage okay what makes this book so great why did you you guys as kids want to come back to this thing when they couldn't do the same thing with winnie the pooh and jungle book neither of which you, you know, know kipling and uh, mill no slouches either one of them it's it's kind of hard to say what was the line from the essay and elements of style probably the word magical wasn't it, <laughs> it at all where he says where he just says good style is a can I see your copy real quick? Yeah. While you're looking it up, I I, I kind of want to say it's a lot like Austin. E, e, a lot of children's authors think they got to have magical, fantastical, exciting stuff. And this is a really boring farm. Mm-hmm. And there's a pig that doesn't want to be eaten. And he's got a magical, a magical friend who's going to try to help him not be eaten. I hadn't thought about this until just now, but I think you you actually helped me put my finger on it maybe a little bit right there. Because if you think about Winnie the Pooh is just such a great contrast to this. If you think about Winnie the Pooh and the preoccupations of those characters and the things that they're doing, the basic goals and motivations and things that drive the story forward are these really abstract adult Eeyore's depressed. So they're going to do something to make him. It's like stuff that as an adult you can enter into, but this story, it's really clear and simple, not in a condescending way, but just in a Wilbur does not want to die. He wants to live. He wants a friend. He's got a friend. Yeah, His he, friend is good hearted. It's simple, relatable, yeah. human mm-hmm. goals. And Wilbur is lonely and he doesn't want to die. Mm-hmm. Charlotte is his magical friend who comforts him, makes him feel better and is going to fight to help him survive that's the drama and and that's real drama i mean shakespeare could build a play on that just as easily as eb white could write a yeah that's to be or not to be is actually the story of charlotte's web and we have the relatable protagonist fern Mm -hmm. who we see it through her eyes until she disappears because she becomes unnecessary and it's a nice fun joke for the parents yeah it's a good moment so from the beginning, and it's actually interesting because in this, the story of Charlotte's Web, this book that I was part of the context, mm-hmm. he mentions how at f- first Firm was not going to be a part of the story. And so he really struggled with figuring out how to make the first part of the book work. Mm-hmm. And finally, he came up with this first chapter idea of her father going to kill the pig and 
her stopping him and then Fern came into existence and that helped yeah. solidify the story for him. You'd think it would be simple, but I could see, I could imagine being an author and having a real heart. You're going to have these animals that are going to be talking to each other. You need to enter into that. Getting there, I mean, like you see how Milne does it. He gives you a chapter of like, here you come walking down the stairs. You're dumb and I'm going to tell bump, you stories bump. about your animals. But there, whether we like it or not, you can see what Mill's doing is he's laying the groundwork and trying to do some world building to give you a, a perspective to see this story through. Same thing here. Yeah, it's great. And it's yeah. sweet because the recent movie, the kids watched a part of it. And it was, it's pretty bad. The Dakota Fanning thing? Is yeah. It? Is it? It's on Netflix or something, right? Yeah. It and was. I mean, I so it. like this first chapter, it's very sweet. The mm-hmm. dad. He's kind of condescending, but in a sweet, fatherly way to her. Yeah. It's like, uh, he's smiling and Fern, yeah. And he he understands. Here's his little girl. She doesn't want to see the animal die. So he's okay. You try to take care of him. In the movie, it's more the daughter has the righteous position against her father. And no, no, no. That's, yeah. That's dumb. I mean, here it's just kind of observational as much as anything i mean it's just yeah. like this is what dads are like this is what daughters are you yeah, know there's no, really... no particular commentary on it one way or another besides isn't it relatable and we all kind of remember dealing with yeah Anna and i got to smile at one another multiple times when like the zuckermans would be talking to one another mm-hmm. yeah. the husband and wife like the scene where she comes out with the buttermilk and mr zuckerman's just like you're crazy mm-hmm. <laughs> but whatever <laughs> we're like yeah this is actually pretty this is kind of the way we talk to one another <laughs> yeah yeah so, so what's the difference between I, this podcast might be a little all over the place but that's okay we're basically just trying to answer the one question of why does this book work so well so what is the difference between the condescending like milne uses irony and he has all these jokes that only adults will get and we felt a little bit and people can go and listen to that episode if they want more of that but we felt uneasy with it here white does that i mean there's all kinds of things that you only get as an adult and there's all kinds of subtleties and jokes and just the whole story of ferns her maturation hitting puberty whatever you want to call it it's in there and it's not for kids and it's meaningful and touching and funny for adults we don't mind that at all it's it's sweet and we like it what's the difference white never does it at the expense of the kids he does it in service of every reader. So he, for Milne, the kid's the butt of the joke. I don't want to overstate my case here in trying to, to tease out the difference. So Milne is in the ninth level of hell, I believe, is where we consigned him. That's right. Yeah. He's so being we, I can on say whatever I want, right? right. Um, <laughs> no, Milne's fine. We like Milne. He, yeah, he's no, a he's good funny. I love those kind books. Of that, use as a contrast here. So yeah. So in Why They Work is college you know, when you're about college age mm-hmm. is what where I think we decided they work best. Silly old bear is actually Christopher Robin. Right. You know, it's like, ha ha, aren't children stupid? Yeah. Right. He, here, let me talk, double talk to you. That's, I'm saying one thing to a kid in a way that the kid is supposed to perceive as being sincere, but I'm not sincere at all. And I'm mm-hmm. really just winking and nodding and making mm-hmm. fun of the kid. Yeah. And, White's totally sincere at all times, and that's the di- that's the main difference. Kipling totally sincere at all times. Whether or not Jungle Book works as well as just so, so stories, what you get is a sincerity, a sincere. I actually like kids, and I'm writing to serve kids, not a I found a niche and yeah. I've something that adults like and think is funny. And insofar like, as there's a joke or there's a sort of worldly wise attitude it's it's bigger picture it's the, the joke is on everybody life yeah. life is funny with human beings are with funny. white with white yes yeah, yeah um, well it's just sincere i think that i think sincerity really may be the the, the difference like yeah. yeah and it's and kipling um, ha- could have the sincerity well in a good in a good the very best children's books i should enjoy them i should enjoy the book and i should enjoy reading them to my kids and there should be things in there that are for me mm-hmm. i just don't want to feel like the whole point is at the expense of my kids, but mm-hmm. 
Oh, he's got a joke in there for me, too. It's a little bit like the difference between an awesome Pixar movie and a terrible DreamWorks movie. Yes. D.B. White is... I thought the same... Pixar. Yeah. E.B. White White is Pixar. Pixar. E.B. White is Brad Bird in uh, Incredibles. Yeah. It's relatable. Kids love it. Adults like it. There there are things in it. It's a kid's movie, but there are things in it for adults, and it's artfully done, and it's never... Well, you watch the worst of the DreamWorks movies, and it's like... You can tell they don't actually believe in the innocence of childhood. It feels sometimes like they're actively working, like in the, some of the later Shrek movies and stuff, to just cynically destroy. You, you like fairy tales? Well, you're an idiot. Yeah, um, you're an idiot. Uh, let's be jaded about everything. Let's be jaded about everything. Might as well learn sooner yeah. or later. Right. And I think that, I mean, I think what Jake's saying is right. With Milne, I get the sense that he's always trying to justify the fact that he's telling a children's story, mm-hmm. but he's still a really good writer. Right. And so that's yeah. part of it. He just wants to say, hey, guys, I know I'm having to tell a children's story because that's what's making the money. But yeah. actually, I'm, you know, really I'm a good writer. And I'm an amazing yeah. stylist. So I could be doing other I'm things. very funny. But... And he is. He's very funny and very yeah. clever and, and an amazing stylist. But... but he's lowering himself with a bit of bitterness about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And with White, he doesn't at all. Right. And I mean, we know like, in those two he... men's lives that Milne was, in fact, bitter about it in real life. Yeah. He went on to be bitter about it, about being pegged as a children's yeah. writer. And I'm White... trying not to read that into their works. Yeah. But it's hard not to. It's hard not to. And I think I think you pick up on it, too. Mm-hmm. I think it's actually there. I and mean, to your test about whether or not I can read his books and still enjoy them mm-hmm. and also have my kids enjoy them. Elliot loves Stuart Little. So people love these books, but yet I was able to read them at night by myself and completely just enjoy them. Well, that's, yeah, that's what I think is also a good test, by the way, for a superhero movie. Yeah, no, I think you're right. It should work for kids and be for kids and also work for adults. Work for adults. It should be a good story. And if it's a good story, adults are going to like it. Yeah, that's right. So Hans Christian Andersen fairy tales are good and they're enjoyable to read. Yeah. But that little matchstick girl, she gets what's coming to her. That's right. Take that, matchstick girl. <laughs> you saw all those matches. That sounds Christian Anderson, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> that story used to destroy me when I was a kid. Amanda hates that story so <laughs> it's, it's much. so brutal. She read it out loud to the kids, not knowing what she was getting into. <laughs> I think she's probably still bitter about that. Oh, I love that. <laughs> How brutal the story is. Yeah, yeah. I actually read it again maybe one or two Christmases ago and it was sweeter than I remembered because you have all the sort of sentimental and you could even maybe say it's a little mawkish, but you have the but sentiment of grandma's looking down and she's gone to be with grandma and all this. It's not just a little girl. Christian Anderson. Not the kind of person that uh, enjoys being surprised into being emotional. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, she's going to die. <laughs> Great. Well, she's looking in the windows and all the yeah. rich people are eating. And oh, man, that story. And she can't go back home because she'll be beaten if she doesn't sell all the matches. What a great story. <laughs> uh, <laughs> being, I'm the kind of person that enjoys being surprised by, it's the opposite of surprised by joy. Uh, just Surprised by agony. By oh, you, surprised by you, you just yeah. made me miserable. Good job, Mr. Author. <laughs> I didn't, ex- didn't expect it, that. Nathan would write surprised by grief and <laughs> yeah. a joy observed. Observed, yeah. <laughs> what is this thing? This joy keeps going on and on. I can't stop being happy. What's the problem? All right, let me close the this loop. This is wrong. This yeah. is wrong. Stop. <laughs> let me let me read this thing that we so uh, people at home have been on the edge of their seat. Like, I hope Nathan doesn't forget to read the thing he was supposed to read. Well, let me close that loop for us real quick. It's actually in the first paragraph of his his approach to style. White says. Who can confidently say what ignites a certain combination of words, causing them to explode in the mind? Who knows why certain notes in music are capable of stirring the listener deeply, though the same notes, slightly rearranged, are impotent? These are high mysteries, and this chapter is a mystery story, thinly disguised. 
There is no satisfactory explanation of style, no infallible guide to good writing, no assurance that a person who thinks clearly will be able to write clearly, no key that unlocks the door, no inflexible rule by which the young writer may shape his course. So that's, bum, a, bum. that's a great quote, but... I don't remember what context I was supposed to read well, that quote it, in. Well, I, I was just not thinking clearly. I think when I referenced it, I was only just trying to find a way to say it's magical. But it's more than style. That's yeah. a great quote about style in the magic of style. Well, it does but, get at a that, certain... What I was, who part, knows why Charlotte's Web works. I, that's why I think the my comparison to Austin kind of matters because it, part of what I was trying to say is there's a lot of really mundane things in here. Farmers yeah. kill pigs all the time. Mm -hmm. The setting, a farm, whatever, mm -hmm. is pretty mundane. Just like Austin, you know, oh, look, they're young people and they're going to try to get married. Nothing actually happens in this book. They go for some walks. Those are the they big go for like, walks, action scenes. They talk. Maybe one ball per book. And then there's interpersonal drama and then somebody gets married. Mm -hmm. But it still resonates because one, she's a master storyteller and she's mm -hmm. a master craftsman. Uh, she taps into those things that everybody can relate to in, in, in a way that you don't, you don't have to care about carriages and balls, dresses and whatever else. You can be a a dude living in 21st century America and be totally caught up and engaged because she's tapping into universal things. Yeah. And so you have a pig on a farm is going to die and he's in his, and is lonely and sad. Mm -hmm. And he's going to artfully tap into these universal things that everyone feels, whether you're an adult or a child, nobody wants to be alone. Nobody wants to die. He's going to be funny and clever and simple and humble enough in his storytelling that everybody's going to be able to follow along as he tells this mm -hmm. story and everybody's going to be able to feel it as he tells the story mm -hmm. and his style doesn't get in the way of that it's not about the style it's not about him it's not about how it's about telling a good sincere story that everybody can relate to and connect with and drawing characters that everybody can relate to and connect with when all of that comes together i don't know know what else to say about it except that it's just kind of magical one of the th one thing about to say about it is that i think me and brandon maybe talked a little bit about one of the rules last week where he says use specific concrete language and he talks about how yeah. he pocketed the coin is much stronger than he Put the in, coin enjoyed in his, his possessions his earnings or whatever there's a seeming contradiction in that by using these specifics you can get at something universal better than by approaching something universal in a universal way in a general way so yeah. if you for example the the example i'm thinking of is he, white describes in detail this rope swing that's connected to the barn yeah mm -hmm. and he gets at something i don't want to make too big a thing out of this but he gets at something about childhood and about the fun games that we play outside and about the risks that you the take risks that and you the take motherhood and fatherhood exhilarating things right yeah. and that that moment in the air where you're swinging and it's like i i never had a rope thing like that i had other things but him describing the one that he no doubt had as a kid. Um, oh, it was there in his barn. Yeah. Him, the way this book opens up is describing the rope swing in okay, his barn. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Of course he did. But yeah. by being specific, by using something that was specific and resonant to him, he is able to give me an entryway into a universal feeling. And he's able to make me think of all these associations and feel all these feelings that come with all kinds of stuff from my mm -hmm. childhood and my history. Yeah, well, you drill down into something really specific and concrete. You give people that, it, it works like a parable. People can enter yeah. into it. It's not them, it's not maybe their story, but they can enter into it and find the relationships. Yeah. We've it's all had that thing. It's, it's 
all of our favorite writers, and we've talked about this before, and we spent, I think, a lot of time talking about it on the Willa Cather episode, Mm -hmm. where she, didn't she start trying to write some, and then she had the editor say, no, listen, you just need to write what you know. Mm -hmm. Tell your own story, and then she just did. These Plains characters from ages gone by suddenly become resonant, and we can enter into their struggle, and we, we never grew up as immigrants in Nebraska mm-hmm. or... But you feel like you have now. But you feel like you have, yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, that's... You tell your own story and understand that your story is is in its way universal mm-hmm. just because we we all deal with the same things and trust people's empathy to be able to enter into it. Yes. That's why in poetry, it's that one little image. It's the one little... It's not the idea, it's the image. Mm-hmm. It's the... Yeah. the image. Yeah, we've talked a lot about... The two hardest things to teach a writer is mm-hmm. to have the ear for the music of the of yeah. the, the style. That's he's really good at that. Those, those it's, combinations it's of words that he was talking yeah, about. Yeah, I mean, it just sounds just clean read. and perfect, and mm-hmm. it's hard to teach someone to have that ear. And then it's also hard to teach someone. We've talked about this. It's hard to teach someone to have that instinct for the detail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one thing. So the rope swing, or what was his name? Henry Fussy with the Ferris wheel, mm-hmm. you know, and there's the Ferris wheel it represents turning and all the wills and literary history sure, and all that, sure, sure. but he's not heavy handed with that at all. And she just sort of goes off and that's what takes her away from this magical world of the animal, mm-hmm. the growing up that happens at the end of the book. That's all very low key. It's all in the details. He doesn't like stop to say, and isn't it this something? And Wilbur thought about, oh, Fern's growing up and mm-hmm. somebody had to pause and explicate it for you. The other one is uh, the, that scene with, with the crickets when summer is ending. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so he, instead of just saying summer ended, winter came, he finds this detail, the crickets singing. And this is telling people that summer's ending. And he's just, he's really good at that. Yeah. And uh, that adds to this magic that we're talking about. He just treats you with respect. Here's maybe the other difference <clears throat> between him and a, some of the bad children's authors is he treats, like any good writer does, he treats you with respect and he expects you to do some work and he realizes it'll be much more emotionally real for you if you have to do the work and if he pays you the compliment of making the connections, of realizing why it's meaningful without, like I'm comparing it in my head to the final scene of the Pooh saga where he's splitting up with Christopher Robin and there's all this stuff about just, you'll go on to be an adult Christopher Robin, but somewhere in your this is sad. Childhood is dying, you know, but the magic will live on in somewhere in your heart. That's all in white. And it's a million times more meaningful because he doesn't, he's not heavy handed about it. He lets you, he gives you two as, as, as as me and Jake like to say in Warhorn, he gives you two and two and he lets you make four. And I think even for kids, kids are smart. Kids have emotional depth. Kids can make those connections. They might not always be able to articulate them as well as an adult can, but in their heart of hearts, they can kind of get it. And when you let them do the emotional math in their heads, it can end up being much more powerful for them than if you just tell them, this part was sad, young man, young lady, you should be sad now. I'm like, okay, yeah. thanks, thanks, Pops. I guess I'll be sad. And actually, like one nice thing about the trumpet of the swan mm-hmm. is that the father swan is actually, he's a little silly, but he's a respectable swan. And he actually is kind of the hero of the book. I don't think that um, E.B. White has an unhealthy sheen and nostalgia about childhood like you see like you were saying with mm-hmm. a.a milne he gives it its place he sees the beauty of it but then fern grows up and there's not really a sense of sadness there 
he's not sentimental about it. Yeah, you don't exactly. get the sense Sentimental's that the word I should have said. Yeah. Not sentimental about it. And neither are the Zuckermans and neither yeah. even are Charlotte or Wilbur. Yeah, you no, get the scene where the father says the kids have to grow up sometime, may as well do it at a fair. And you don't get the impression that any one of these characters would have betrayed, you know, if Fern goes and lives in the city with when she marries what's his face, she's not going to be betraying the beautiful bucolic farm life. You know, nope. there's there's just not a chip on the shoulder. There's no nope. Yep. No kind of bitterness, the the bitterness that comes with that kind of forceful nostalgia. Because it can be really nasty. Yeah. What's the, oh, the little prince. Yeah. Oh, like yuck. that's, it's we almost, should, oh, we we've talked about it before. That's almost pedophilic. It's I hate wicked. That. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Sorry. Where, I know there's somebody out there listening that loves the little prince and we're not going to take time to explain why we don't like it, but it's, we'll do it. Send us an email. It's disgusting. Because it's like, it's the king of these, let's sentimentalize childhood. And it's unhealthy. Yeah. We've talked a lot about the sentiment, sentimentalization of childhood. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I've noticed E.B. White, he doesn't do that. He sees childhood. He realizes, like I said, the beauty in this, in, of it, but he doesn't have that unhealthy nostalgia about yeah, it. There's nothing especially adorable about Fern or about her brother. They're just kids. They're just yeah. normal yep. kids. They're just kids. And mom's a little concerned about her obsession. And she calls the doc and the doc's like, how old is she again? Yeah. What's the name of that kid up the road? You just give it a, you give it a little time here, and I think she'll grow out of her obsession. Henry Fussy, who would have thought? <laughs> yeah, I really I think that that little section with the doctor might be my favorite. The yeah. doctor rocks. Well, we should talk about the book a little bit about the characters and stuff. Who is who is who? What character did your kids respond like? Who was the funniest? I don't know. Was, was Templeton a big hit? Who was? Oh yeah, who was oh, a big they hit? love Templeton. Yeah. Templeton was definitely the funniest. I hate spiders, by the way. And it's weird to me that you never think about Charlotte as a disgusting spider. You just think about her. I'm not sure. It boggles my brain, actually, the fact that she's just a... I'm not sure exactly how these anthropomorphized kind of stories work because you just kind of accept Charlotte just like she's a human, but you imagine, you still imagine her as a spider, but you don't. I don't bring my spider, my arachnophobia to it. Why is that? Why don't you? Yeah. Well, I think it's what you said. He anthropomorphizes her. So you kind of, you f- he makes her relatable. He makes her a character. So you don't put all the associations of spider that you do, for example, with Shelob mm. in Lord of the Rings. You don't have those associations. You kind of he do it first. He does describe her deftly, you know, wrapping up. Yeah. Yeah, he gives, she, he doesn't sentimentalize her. She's so a he, spider. Yeah, he nods to it at the beginning where Wilbur. out. Yeah, Wilbur says, what? Man, this is, you know, you're brutal. And then later he even pays homage to that with Wilbur saying, I can't believe I ever thought you were brutal. Right. So he knows that's what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Actually, he was fascinated by spiders. He went to the New York library and would check out books and books and just read about them. And so everything that happens in the story is actually very like scientifically accurate. Uh, him and Jonathan Edwards, man. I don't yeah. know about these spider loving. thought that was a fun fact. So. Right up there with the best literary spider. It's right. It'd be Charlotte, Shelob. And the Itsy Bitsy. The Itsy Bitsy. <laughs> <I> said that. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any other great literary spiders? I don't think so. Little Miss Muffet's spider. Anansi. It's a spider, isn't he, in folklore? What else to say about this book? So we're talking about characters. Yeah. Templeton was a big hit. Yep. I forgot that I thought it well I think in most of the cartoons all the other animals are silly. Mm-hmm. I forgot that like the sheep had some wisdom too. Mm-hmm. So she's the one who knew how to manipulate Templeton. And Saves so, the day. Yeah. The kids loved Wilbur. Yeah. Yeah. And sympathized with Wilbur and Wilbur's existential agony. <laughs> yeah. Existential plight. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to die. I guess it's not an overly dark. I mean by the standard of 
all children's stories of all time. If you compare it to Grimm's or something like that, it's not, it's not, it's not no. really all that more dark or existential than most of the, probably the great children's stories have been. And not every character has to have redemption. Templeton does not get any redemption. No, becomes more depraved. If anything, yeah. he gives into his gluttony there. He just is completely a rat. That last picture of Templeton all bloated and yeah, where he was the size of a gopher or whatever. Yeah. 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 It's really disgusting. Yeah. That one. <laughs> Just imagine him popping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did any of the older kids pick up on the whole, the the Fern angle of it? Or did that just kind of sail over their heads? Were they bored by Fern? Did they no, Elliot and Alyssa picked up on it, yeah. Uh, Lucy was definitely, <laughs> I played it, I played into it a little with Lucy. Yeah. Lucy is your eight-year-old Eight-year-old girl? daughter, mm-hmm. yeah. Is that pretty accurate? Is that around the age where they? Yeah. Peter and Lucy are, we're tracking with, yeah. with. Fern and what, what's his name? Again? Henry Fussy. Henry Fussy. Fern and Henry get a little yeah. bashful. Oh yeah, Elliot was getting bashful. <laughs> <laughs> Probably well. thinking about girls in his class. Uh, yeah, I remember thinking about girls in my class around that age. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to, didn't mean <laughs> to do that in my <laughs> really bad, that that voice, creepy. man. I remember <laughs> thinking about the girls in my class. I want to change that. <laughs> Uh, I don't know what else to say. I cried again when uh, Charlotte died. It's it's so weird. He had does a really it hard time getting through reading that out loud. He yeah. does it, and it's so much more powerful because it's done so unsentimentally. It's just like this is how a spider would die. He can't stay to watch her die. She just dies. Like it's just like it is, there is something kind of existential about it. Like yeah. the universe just didn't care. Charlotte is a spider. This is what spiders do. Fact, and doesn't he say no one saw her die? Yeah. It's something yeah. like that. What's the line? You should just find it. Yeah. Here it is. You want me to read the last paragraph? Yeah. She never moved again. So she says goodbye. She whispered. She never moved again. Next day as the Ferris wheel was being taken apart and the racehorses were being loaded into vans and the entertainers were packing up their belongings and driving away in their trailers. Charlotte died. The fairgrounds were soon deserted. The sheds and buildings were empty and forlorn. The infield was littered with bottles and trash. Nobody of the hundreds of people who had, that had visited the fair knew that a gray spider had played the most important part of all. No one was with her when she died. <laughs> She's like, man. <laughs> oh, no. I'm sorry, Henry. <laughs> I guess that's the other reason the book's so resonant, because it's just about... Death? Well, self-sacrifice or... Yeah. I don't cry when sad things happen to people in books. I cry when good things, when people are good, actually, I think. Yes, um, mm-hmm. that's right. That's It's not, it's never just, su- just pure suffering. Like reading a story of someone just suffering is not moving. Reading a story of nobility in the face of suffering yeah. is intensely moving. Yeah, reading a story of nobility, period. Yeah. As much suffering and sacrifice as you want to add just amps up how moving it is. Yep. Yeah. Just, that's what was missing in Avengers. Yeah. Yeah, we'll t- we'll talk about it over on Sound of Sanity. But in fact, we probably already have when this by the time this comes out. We I certainly guess. have. But go over to Sound of Sanity. You can hear our Avengers. But yeah, that's what was missing from it. I'm agreeing at this point, even though I haven't seen it. <laughs> well, you have you've seen it by the time yeah. they're listening, probably. So you can just be like, and yeah. you will agree. I agree. Yeah. Should people read Charlotte's Web? Yes. Yeah. The only caveat read is kids. read it to your kids. Yeah. Read it to your kids. Should lonely? Sure. Yeah. Yes. They definitely should. Okay. Because they're going to be tempted to read Dostoevsky. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't read Dostoevsky. Read Charlotte's <laughs> if Web. If you have a choice between uh, Charlotte's Web and Dostoevsky. Yeah, actually, I would say That's anyone right. who has a tendency to want to read some dark, depressing stuff like him or even worse stuff than that, like Chuck Palahniuk or whatever that guy mm, is. Yuck, yeah. 
you would do better to go and just read all of E.B. White's, these three children's stories. Yeah, you want some would, existentialism. E.B. White does existentialism better than everybody. anybody. Read his essay about taking his son to the lake. It's, it's yeah. it'll, It has a nice dark kick at the end of it. And so does Charlotte's Web for that yeah. matter. But, she dies alone. Yeah. So people should read the great existential writer, E.B. White. Maybe that's what the E stands for, existential. That's right. All right, guys, let's do some donor shout outs. Lily of the Valley. Lily of the Valley. Andrew and Esther, the lovebirds. Andrew and Esther, the lovebirds. And little baby Timothy. And little baby Timothy. The inscrutable Jenny Z. The inscrutable Jenny Z. Robert and Rhonda, the lovebirds. Robert and Rhonda, the lovebirds. John and Jill, the lovebirds, and little baby Max. John and Jill, the lovebirds, and little baby Max. Now, Brandon, I find great literature to be very transporting, don't you? I do, and uh, Nathan, you're not Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> Is there, what else do you find to be transporting in this life? Things that actually transport. That's right. You got an example of one of those? I th- think uh, a, 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 t- a truck. Yeah. An airplane? Like the trucks used by David's Mighty Men Transport for That's all your right. transportation needs. That's right. Uh, our, they'll haul hay up for you, too. Will they in Kentucky. Yeah, you? they will. There you go. Well, if you're all your transportation here needs. and you need some transport, David's Mighty Men, we want to thank them for supporting us. We've also got my beloved mother, Beth. My beloved mother, Beth. And Maya! Maya! Jay and Katie the Lovebirds, who are cold and love cheese. Jay and Katie the Lovebirds, who are cold and love cheese. Benny T and Danny T the Lovebirds. I uh, know. Sorry. Yeah. 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 Benny Tiberius. And Benny Danny. T and Danny T the Lovebirds. Dana, Nathan, not Dana me. Dana T. Nathan, not Nathan. Eric and Catherine the Lovebirds. Eric and Catherine the Lovebirds. Uh, Doctor, no, Professor and Mrs. X the Lovebirds. Hey. Professor and Mrs. X the Lovebirds. All right, guys. Well, There's a lot of donors. Yeah, a lot of donors. People love the booketing. What can we say? It's a hit. It's a hit. Hey, if you want to be a booketing donor, we're going straight into the credits. The music's playing now. I bet that wouldn't at all surprise me. Didn't even have that thing where somebody says something witty and then the music hits. We just, it just kind of faded in. No wit um, today. So, yeah, no wit. We don't need wit. We're not, what are we, Milne? We're we're E.B. White. We just we just tell it like it is. We're all going to go die in We're all going to go die in a corner alone. So if you want to support the booketing, go to www.patreon.com forward slash the booketing. You can also follow us on all the socials. I'll tell you who has amazing Instagram stories. The pastor who's a master of reading himself, Jacob Mensel. Sometimes you'll see me appear on them for crying out loud. Been working on my Instagram game. He's been working on his Instagram, not just working on it, but succeeding on his Instagram game, my friends. You will love his stories. And after 24 hours, much like Charlotte, they will be gone forever. But their children will live on because he'll just keep making more of them. And some of them, it's a metaphor. Uh... Brandon Chastine, of course, was here doing stuff. He's a man. We like him. So was Jake. So was Nathan. Those are the principal people involved in producing this fine show for you. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Right on. <laughs> <laughs>